gentlemen, boys and girls, my name is Alan Moore and you're listening to Gaelic Games Europe's weekly podcast, This Sunday's Game. A very warm welcome to this final show of November. Now we're going to go shortly to Amsterdam to have a chat with John Murphy, our new chairperson. However, before we do, a couple of wee notices. The first is that GGE has a new partner, Ulta, which of course is an online hurling marketplace. A lot of very interesting hurls and equipment there to be had. And also, if you want to give us any feedback or even criticism, you can write to me on pro.europe at gaa.ie. And without any further ado, straight to Amsterdam and John Murphy. I'm delighted to welcome on to the show today, making his debut on this Sunday's game, all the way from Amsterdam, or all the way from Cork, via Amsterdam, John Murphy. John, you're very welcome on. Thanks very much, Alan. Delighted to be here. So I want to start off saying congratulations on getting the chairmanship, or the chairpersonship even, of Gaelic Games Europe. How does it feel so far, two weeks in? Thanks very much, Alan. I think I feel... Honoured and excited. Um, you know, obviously we have a large region with a lot of, you know, dynamic clubs, a lot of challenges, and I'm excited to kind of roll up the sleeves. I've talked to a lot of people now in the last few weeks, trying to get my name out there, talk to the clubs, and yeah, I think it's going very well. I, right now, the aim is to get a bit of momentum uh, before Christmas and set up kind of how our 2021 is going to look going forward. Again, that's very important because we've had a very disrupted year so far. I mean, since really since March, it's been absolutely a nightmare in Europe. Um, let's just start off straight away with, uh, well, where you come from. So you're from County Cork. Tell us a little bit about, uh, about Cork, your, your GA background and how you ended up in Amsterdam. Sure. I suppose my background is kind of, some way standard and some way unusual. Um, I grew up in a dairy farm out in East Cork, a place called Glenville. So if anyone's ever passed the, by, the Cork Dublin bypass, uh, you'd pass Rack Cormac. So I'm just up a little boring up there. Uh, my GA background is a little bit unusual. I was born with a heart condition. So at five days old, I actually had open heart surgery, which stopped me playing all sports till I was about 12. And then eventually I just kind of wore down the cardiologist every like six months going up to Crumlin and going, can I play now? Can I play now? Yeah. And eventually at 12, I kind of wore him down. So they left me play from about 12 to 15. And then they're like, right, you know, how would you describe your uh, style of play? And uh, anyone that's played against me would say, I'm as rough as a bull in a China shop. But uh, my father was like, no, he's a nice, sprightly winger, kind of avoids contact. And the cardiologist was like, good, because, uh, yeah, physical contact wouldn't be very good for him. <laughs> so not having seen my style of play, thankfully, the cardiologist was not too worried, just having our word for it. But, yeah, I kind of gave it up then, um, heartbrokenly. Uh, but moved to America after I did the UCC um, and... I suppose kind of like anyone else that's been abroad, you know, you kind of miss the crack, you miss home. And that kind of longing really brought me back into the GA sphere. Uh, we had an, there's an American club called Rochester. So shout out to some of the lads there if they're listening. 
it was a completely American run club. So it was very different from, you know, growing up in the parish at home. These guys had different challenges. You know, we had no funding base. We had to, you know, it was friends that were coming into practice. So I think for me, it was very eye-opening to see lads that didn't grow up with this still wanting to bleed for the jersey as much as myself. And like, I suppose it opened my eyes to the possibility of anyone can pick up our game. We really have fantastic sports and we need as the Irish to actually be more inclusive and not be greedy. Like I think we have great games and we like to kind of maybe keep them to ourselves, but I think we really have huge opportunity. And for me also, I got to go into local high schools and colleges and do a lot of, you know, radio and TV out there. So it was a really eye-opening experience and kind of motivated me to look at the games that we have in terms of a global perspective. I would say I, I know Rochester well. I actually played soccer down against the Rhinos there back in 97, it would have been. And it is, it's in upstate New York, but it's a lovely, lovely, lovely spot. Very yes. um, kind of like almost like Heartland American. So if you can, if you can understand it, and that's a great introduction to GAA in North America, especially because it's it's not Irish, very yeah. non-Irish. So at least you can, it's some, it's a transferable skill and understanding that you can bring it anywhere else. Yeah, no, I mean Rochester for those listening is where Kodak cameras kind of originated and Xerox now you know the I suppose printer company so yeah it had a lot of money at the turn of the 20th century so you had these kind of old stately houses so it was a kind of wealthy city at the turn of the 20th century but as then you know kind of with Kodak had an economic decline and when I kind of went there in the 2010 it was starting to come back out and was more technology kind of, I wouldn't say Silicon Valley, but that kind of uh, startup and regeneration around that Bible Belt that you see now in places like Cleveland and these kind of places that we played against, actually. But yeah, it was a really great experience. It was a lot of fun. We were a young club when I joined, just a few years. Uh, so the Aaron's Isle was what they're called. Um, and I mean, we were crap when I joined. We lost, I think, the first season. We didn't do very well. The second season then, we picked up a couple of new players and actually won our Midwest division. So we would play Syracuse. Uh, so shout out to Sean Rooney, who's still keeping Syracuse alive out there. And, you know, Buffalo would be the big kind of icon out there. They'd be, you know, they've been around for years. They do fantastic stuff with youth now. And they're just a big presence. So beating them was kind of a one of my career highlights actually from there i suppose i kind of i moved to madrid to pursue a mba at ie business school so i always kind of wanted to do an mba and the opportunity to go to a top 10 school in the world in a beautiful city like madrid was you know i couldn't turn that down um i didn't play actually for the harps so <laughs> i i drank in uh, james joyce's a few times and watched a few monster matches but I uh, predominantly just focused on studying and kind of networking within my class. So unfortunately, I didn't get to line out with the Harps, uh, which is kind of sad. But did that? I was there, and then January, February 2016, moved to Amsterdam. And I suppose having sat out a year and a half in Madrid, I was eager to get back in. And I was lucky that Amsterdam has a very strong club. I think I 
think two weeks I was here and I was back out training with them and I just bedded in real fast with them, which is, uh, it, it really felt like home. I would say anyone that is fortunate enough to travel the world and maybe work in any location has the opportunity to play GA, I would strongly encourage you to do it. It really makes you feel like you have a home away from home. And that's how I felt for the last four years here in Amsterdam is it's been, you know, these became friends very quick, having to travel around Benelux and Europe on football and hurling tournaments. You've great crack, you make friends from other cities, from other clubs. You have memories that, you know, we'll probably remember for 20 years. So it's been you know, a fantastic adventure for me. Um, you've had like, obviously, the, the dual experience in North America, uh, finding GAA or GAA finding you. And the same then in Holland. Has it made life easier in both places or did it make life easier to begin with? And now, obviously, currently in, in, in Amsterdam. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think it provides you a home away from home. I think some of the lads that played me wish I never found this home. <laughs> um, and that's not because I'm good. It's just because I'm awkward. But um, yeah, I think it just gives people a place to identify with, you know, I think one of the great things about the GA is it's very inclusive and very open. It doesn't matter if you're from County Cork or from Monaghan or Galway or even Argentina, right? I think you to look across Europe and you see so many different nationalities and backgrounds and everyone is one family. So I would definitely think it's made my re global relocations easier and definitely kind of stopped me maybe moving back to Ireland for, you know, a longing for that community. It's been given to me here as I've traveled around the world. So. Again, that is the point. It's like it, it, it reduces, you'll always feel homesick. That's just a normal thing, but it reduces it. It makes you feel like, you know, you have a bit of a place. John, listen, let, let's look ahead now for GGE. So coming in, it's been, you know, it, we've had a difficult year in the past. We're continuing to grow. Uh, we're closing up on 100 clubs across 24 countries in, in Europe. You know, we have the development plan. Things are starting to are growing and that from the regions, the subcommittees and so on. Um, what's your vision for Gaelic Games in Europe? I have a lofty aspiration, as, you know, some people keep reminding me it's very lofty, but I still love it as a dream. I would love to see a native-born European team play in the All-Ireland Championships. We see it with London, New York, and that's now expanding into, you know, places like Warwickshire, like coming on board. Given the size of Europe, like I, to me, the addressable market is 700 million people. Like that's the continental Europe. I think we do need to look beyond the Irish. The Irish are critical, but our games also give us the opportunity to bridge into new communities. You see the passion the Galicians have for the sport, the passion the Russians have, you know, with you, Alan, out there. The, you know, the French. Our games transcend nationality in some regards. And it's kind of, it almost appeals to a tribal sense in us. And so, yeah, I have a lofty ambition that I love a county team, but now we need to work back from that. And how do we get there? So I think for me, like you said, 2020 was in certain ways very challenging. In other regards, it was a very interesting opportunity. 
I think, you know, JJ Keeney doing those Zoom quizzes and Dermot O'Donovan getting, like, sponsorship from companies you'd never think of asking, like Ballymaloo and Cooper. It was fascinating and fantastic to see, you know, companies like that engaging with us and seeing the opportunity to do something commercial with us. I think also the regions having a bit more uh, autonomy and flexibility around their games really sparked the kind of question of, you know, how much more can they take ownership? So, yes, 2020 was a frustrating in certain regards, and I appreciate that. I still play myself. I completely feel that. But I think there was some highlights. Um, and then for 2021, I'm an optimist. I think the news in the last few weeks around the vaccines is positive. Um, you know, talking to a lot of people, there's a lot of potential optimism coming. I don't think it'll be January or February, but you know, maybe as the year goes on, we can start having games. I think that's where the region and their flexibility come into critical play, the ability to organize friendly matches or ad hoc tournaments will be essential in getting the game back up and running. From my perspective as chairperson, I think there's a lot of stuff we can do as a region that's free, which is nice. And they're like, you know, I talked to a lot of clubs over the last few weeks and a lot of us have the same problems and there's a lot of people trying to solve the same problem. And if we saw anything by, you know, how this vaccination, you know, came about, it was a whole, a collective effort. So I want to start sharing more ideas and working more collaboratively. I mean, to name a few of the great ideas around the place, there's, you know, I was talking to Dara uh, who's our, you know, GGE treasurer. And he's saying one of the great ideas they do in Munich is uh, for the youths is they rent Hurleys. So the kid doesn't, the kid, children don't buy their Hurleys, but instead rent them off the club for a few. And then at the end of the year, return it. And then, so the club keeps the Hurleys, gets the payoff of the Hurleys, but then gets a profit after a few years. And, you know, as kids get bigger, it saves parents the cost of having to buy a new Hurley. I mean, we've all bought boots, you know, yes. when you go. So I think there is a wealth of great ideas, a sprinkling of them solving problems that other clubs are having. So I see that as that would be a big win for me in 2021 would be the replication of good ideas throughout the region. John, one of the, the kind of, I, I suppose, the accusations or kind of criticisms leveled at GGE, and, and personally speaking, it's, I think it's unfair because... I'm talking to you from Moscow in Russia, um, is that there's a kind of a Benelux-centric view being taken and that it's, oh, the Irish are running it and so on and so forth. But now with the regionalization and that regions have powers and even budgets that you are pushing and supporting, um, do you think we've, we, we, we have to move past that? Yeah, so I think the Beneluxization, I'm not sure if that's a word, but is well, a fallacy. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you look at our board, we have a collective from all regions represented. You know, we're very lucky to have Anna-Marie O'Rourke from France. We have people from Central East like yourself. Uh, we have Wen Jing from the Nordics. And then from, you know, our coaching officer is from Galicia. So I would say that's maybe a few years ago. That might have been the case. I would say... We're fortunate now to have a quite a diverse collective 
also, when you talk about that, I think some of that stems from on the pitch. You know, traditionally, the Benelux would have very strong and heavily Irish-laden teams. However, you do see the quality now in France getting to that stage and Galicia. You know, I was talking to one, some of the Belgian players that went down to Galicia this year in February, and they were blown away with the quality. And, you know, the Galician team beat the Belgians in the final. So, you know, I think that is going to change and it's fantastic because, like I said, this is a game that we should be playing everywhere in Europe, you know, whether you're French, Norwegian or Irish. So I think, you know, that might have been the case a few years ago, but it's certainly not the case now. And as, the, as we go, like you said, into more regional pods, that will disseminate even more in terms of the quality of play and you know, there's also an onus on us as a committee to invest in grassroots. You know, the reason the Irish are strong is because we've been playing this for so long. If we want to pull that level up in other regions, we need to invest as a board in places like Iberia, France, Germany, the Nordics, right? So, you know, some of that blame falls on us as a board and we need to drive that on and make sure that we are developing and creating things like, you know, more development officers, more opportunities for kids to get out and play. So I'm very much committed to bringing everyone up to the stand as equal standard, rather than, you know, maybe leaving it with this perceived imbalance. A couple of years, like our, our makeup has been very diverse about the European County Board and the management. So you know, there's no excuses. And, on that, just a kind of a logical extension, how we have, we, we spoke with the regions, but how much responsibility falls to clubs? Because you brilliantly put it about sharing ideas. So you mentioned one thing then in Munich Column Kills, which can work anywhere to help grow hurling. So there's no excuse to, 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 to not grow it. How much responsibility falls to clubs and what can we do to encourage clubs to be, let's just say more responsible or more active even? Uh, as chairperson, Ultimately, I am the servant of the clubs, right? Like, if we don't have clubs, we don't have a GGE, and without a GGE, there's no me. I don't know if the word is responsibility, actually, for clubs, because, you know, if you look at clubs, it's usually a few people doing the heavy lifting, being honest, right? The lifeblood of clubs in Europe is a bit narrower than Ireland, right? In Ireland, you traditionally have a parish or a town all pulling together. In Europe, it tends to be more sparse. It's a couple of individuals that really want to drive it on. And one of the things, you know, that I hear we're talking to multiple clubs is how to engage with ex-players, right? So a lot of clubs have players that moved to, you know, we'll say Malmo or Cologne. And they played for a few years and now they've moved on and retired and maybe they have kids. So I think, you know, these are the kind of things that we need to be making easier. I don't think there's kind of a lack of responsibility. I think it's make it, reducing the barriers to make it easier, actually, because I absolutely think there's the passion to drive clubs on and talking, you know, every club has a few people that are, you know, will go out there at six in the morning, put up goalposts, line the pitch, and then come back at nine after a tournament and take them all down. I think there's definitely the passion there. To me, it's about making it easier and, you know, I had a great line when I was doing my leaving cert. I had an English teacher that, you know, at the parent-teacher meeting, 
you know, pulled my dad in and he says, you know, the problem with John in English is not that bad at English, but sometimes he needs to box smart rather than hard. And, you know, like it's, I, you know, I think of always uh, Floyd Mayweather. He doesn't, he always just collects the points and then wins unanimously. Like he just boxes smart. And I think we need to do the same in Europe. Like I said, going back to sharing ideas, there's the Cullum Kills idea. There's great ideas all around Europe, right? Like I've talked to Jersey who are doing fantastic initiatives in schools where, you know, the word community is essential in the GGE is yes, there's a few people that are very responsible for clubs, but you know, they're the ones we need to help and reinforce. So I think that's where I see it actually going. And that's where I want to drive it. What, you know, a lot of people listen to this, they'll go, okay, well, we're doing our best and the whole lot. What, for example, can we do to try and grow our player numbers? What would you suggest to clubs that they could either take advantage of or that they could try to maybe grow? Maybe a bit of a hint. You know, like you said, people are making the effort. So I do want to thank everyone. You know, like it is a thankless job at times, like I said, putting up goalposts at six in the morning. You know, growing the player base. I think... We need to look at more games, and that's why the regional uh, flexibility and autonomy is so important. For example, in Benelux there a few weeks ago, we had the AGM, and we, we've decided to restructure our football. So currently how you have it will say, let's take a standard example of a Benelux round of football. You might have eight teams, and you have two groups of four, and you'll probably have two very strong teams in each group that will go on to be the semi-finals and finals of the top. You then probably have one team in each that's a mid-tier team that do, they'll probably beat the bottom teams but get hockeyed against the stronger teams. And there's no benefit to this, right? Because it, it's a cycle. So what we've decided to do is split it into kind of an A division and a B division, whereby based on we're going to use the 2020-19 rankings for the first tournament. So we'll take the top five. Let's say it's a 10-team tournament around. You'll take the top five based on the 2019, and you'll take the bottom five in the B division. So the top, the A division there would be, you'd probably have five very strong teams where the competition would be very tight, and you'll have an eventual winner. But for them, they're playing against teams of their own level. So, you know, there's an added competitiveness, right? Like winning by 7-17 to no score is actually of benefit to neither team. And that's what we need to alleviate. So what you have is a high level of competition in the A's and then in the B's, which may be like new clubs are developing you know, players or maybe B teams that, you know, need game time. These guys are actually competing with players around their own level. So there the competition is much more competitive as well. And then what we're proposing is the winners of B would go up for the next round into A and the bottom team in A would come down to B. So allowing them to actually aim for something like the idea of let's go up to A, see how we get on, see if we can contest. But they're not under an obligation of getting shellacked the whole every other round. So I think that's a very interesting concept that we have in Benelux that we're excited about because, you know, we would have a lot of players that are very enthusiastic, but 
if a team is focused on winning, they may, might not game, get the game time. So I think that's one thing is giving developing players the opportunity to actually develop. To add on to that, in terms of you know, growing the base, I think that, that's good for players that are already involved. In terms of growing awareness, I think this is something that I would encourage every club to reach out to your local Irish business network. So it's the Irish Dutch business network, the Irish German. This is a, you know, a connection you can make also with embassies or, you know, just bring your friends along. You know, we have great games. People love playing them once they kind of get the hang of it. So I think clubs can also look at these and be, you know, try and expand their network. Clubs always need to be, you know, looking at how they grow their player base and what avenues are applicable to them. You know, I think certain clubs have different challenges. I would say clubs that would have high Erasmus students, say like Madrid would have a lot of Erasmus students passing through, you know, how do they deal with that versus we'll say the Irish that are there maybe on a longer term basis. In Amsterdam, I would say we have a highly transitionary team. You know, we, we won the 15s and the 11th side in 2018 in Europe. So from the 28 players that lined that we had a big squad that went to Dublin to play in the Leinster Junior Championship. Of the 28 guys that togged off that day, we lost 15 by the start of 2019. I mean, that is devastating. Look, we were fortunate that we had some replacements, but it definitely affected us the following year. And that's, you know, like I said, for me, that was a concern and also a highlight that we're highly dependent on a transitionary population. And we need to look at trying to get more locals in or get, you know, uh, expand our catchment areas. Before we wrap up, John, just want a final piece to, to ask you about, because of course last weekend we had a, a massive commemoration. Uh, we were hoping we should be, should be in Dublin right now, called Park to celebrate it or to have celebrated it. But uh, of course it was the Bloody Sunday centenary. When you hear of Bloody Sunday, apart from the Michael Collins movie, what springs to mind and how important is it for the GAA as a community to remember the, the, the events of that uh, day in November 1920? I think this is probably one of the most significant events in our association's history, right? You think of the formation of the GA, and this is probably the next significant th thing when you think of our chronological order as an organization. I, I would agree it's very unfortunate that we're not there to witness the kind of the, I, I believe, you know, the finalization of that match. But, you know, we have to, in times like this, it's important that we all stay safe. I think there was a very respectful and poignant remembrance. You know, we saw with the tributes from the Dublin and the Tipperary teams, that kind of, you know, nod of a hat to teams that, that didn't get the chance to finish their games. I think, you know, the whole GA community around the world, you know, lit the candles to remember it in kind of a moment of silence collectively. I think, you know, there's probably some education there for those that are not Irish and don't kind of understand the significance of it. So it gives us the opportunity to share our history also with many others on this board. 
Listen, John, thank you so much for your time um, and looking forward to the year ahead and, of course, uh, to even greater success on and off the field for Amsterdam and for all of the clubs in GGE. Thank you for your time, John. Thank you very much, Alan. Pleasure to be on. As the final whistle blows on this episode of This Sunday's Game, we'd like to thank John and wish him the very best of luck in the year ahead. We'll be back, of course, next week. So, until then, take care of yourselves and each other. Of my childhood away To the days when each patriot's vision Seemed bright Ere I dreamed that those joys would decay when my heart was as light as the wild wind that blows down the marge through each elm tree where we sported and played neath its green leafy shade on the bank of my own lovely lee where we sported and played neath the green leafy shade on the banks of my own lovely lee